When we beheld his glory, John's gospel, this actually continues from last week. The title is, Why Are So Many People Unresponsive to Divine Truth? Why are so many people unresponsive to divine truth? The text is John 5, 38 to 47. Jesus is speaking, and I'll try and show you how it relates to what we looked at last week in 30 to 37. So today we're picking it up at 38. And you can tell because of the use of that word and, you know we're continuing a conversation here. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures. There's the verb. They search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. So if you were keeping track of last week, that'd be four witnesses to Jesus. Father God, John the Baptist, the works of Jesus. That's what we looked at last week, all testifying to who he is. And now Jesus says, the scriptures that bear witness about me. So four, 40. Yet you, here's another verb. You refuse to come to me that you might have life. They search and then they refuse. We're meant to see something strange in that. You refuse to come to me that you may not, that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name. You do not receive me. So this is how he knows. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can, how can you believe so here's what's blocking their belief. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I accuse you. Do not think that I accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. This is weird. It's Moses, on whom you have set your hope. These are Jewish people, the law of Moses, the covenant. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he, this is Moses, he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? These verses form a sort of surprise ending to the block that we began studying last week, 30 to 37. Those are the words of Jesus convincing us, I just mentioned it a minute ago, of the witnesses to his trustworthiness, to his authority. There's the witness of Father God. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus speaks into the group and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. The witness of Father God. 
There's the prophecy-fulfilling witness of John the Baptist. And then there's the powerful witness of the mighty works. Jesus said the works that he performed. In this chapter, the lame man, take up your bed, walk. Boom, he does. But in spite of all that, okay, that was 30 to 37. Now today, you're seeing something different. In spite of all these witnesses, Jesus has... He has nothing optimistic to say about these Jewish people placing their trust in him. In fact, he predicts that all of these witnesses will have no effect on these people. Wow. Says it in verse 38. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So we're brought, we're brought just face to face with people who have, listen, become fixed in their opposition to the best evidence imaginable that Jesus is the Christ, God the Son. These people are not moved by this list of witnesses. They will not reorder their lives. There's a spiritual paralysis that's taken hold of their hearts, and Jesus deals with it. And the reason this is such an important text in John's account is after that, Jesus actually tells us why these people are like this. Jesus is going to show, here's how this happens to people. I need to know that. You need to know that. First, we need to ask, why does Jesus vent such negative-sounding words? What's his purpose in these strong, strong words? I have two thoughts. First, I think there's a merciful hope in these words, revealing the depth of blindness caused by unbelief. It might encourage deeper intercession on behalf of the lost, the backslidden, their problem is deeper than we think, like that devotional that I read this morning. So maybe people will seek God and pray. And the second reason, I think, is Jesus is trying to show the depth of repentance. In pretty devout good people, the depth of repentance that has to cut deeper than just the externals of life. So intercession, repentance, fueled by Jesus' strong words. Let's get into them. Point number one. I find this haunting. Religious people can study their Bibles without coming to Jesus. It's right here. You do not have his, you don't have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. There is one who accuses you. They must have been surprised at this because if there's one guy they gave a lot of attention to, it was Moses. Constantly reading the works, the laws that Moses had. 
There's one who accuses you. It's Moses on whom you have set your hope. They've set their hope right there. And it's not an easy thing for Jesus to come to these people and say, that's a useless hope. What you're doing isn't going to work. Nobody likes to hear that. If you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. If you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So, so we're meant, I think, at least this, to observe a striking paradox in Jesus' opening words here. He puts, he puts two things back to back. You know, one of these things is not like the other. That great hymn of the church. He puts two things back to back. 38, you do not have his word abiding in you. 39, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. So, so they, they search the scriptures with diligence, but they don't have God's word abiding in them. They search, but they don't have the word abiding in them. So, so they're searching in a sense, but there's nothing filling up their hearts. Let me put it this way. They are searching and avoiding at the very same time. They're searching and avoiding at the very same time. So here's Jesus' definition of religious pretense. This is the motion of giving God space but not having God ever move into that space. They're, they're interested to a point. They search the scriptures, but they have no desire to be inconvenienced by the lordship of Jesus in their lives. They've got their own plans. So in Israel, we have, according to Jesus, the most instructive example of the greatest privilege ever, and the greatest missed opportunity in these Jewish people. Because, because before these people, these Jewish people, this people created to be God's Messiah-seeking people, before them stands the Messiah. And they're studying the very scriptures pointing to the Messiah, but they reject him. And Jesus constantly got after, especially their religious leaders, because they were, they were cagey in the kind of devotion they wanted to have and, and not honor Jesus. So we learn in this text, it's possible to talk about God, to read about God, to sing about God, and yet not yield to God the Son, Jesus Christ. So God in general, first cause, divine energy, whatever, is more palatable than having to bow, repent, depend on the redemption through Christ's death and the ongoing lordship of Jesus, specifically on a day-to-day -day basis. Notice the way Jesus pinpoints the root of their problem in 39 and 40. 
You, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. There are, there are two processes here. One is, one is mental. One is mental. You search the scriptures. The other is volitional. You refuse to come. You, you search up here. You search, but you don't want to come. You, you refuse. So there's, there's some kind of invitation being extended as they read the word. There's something calling them that, that they refuse. They, they push back. You refuse to come to me. God's word will have to this day. God's word will have no transforming effect in anyone's life if at specific points in that person's life they refuse to yield to the lordship of Jesus. That's not the Lord. <laughs> you probably all just forgot what I said right there, didn't you? God's word will have no transforming effect in my life if at specific points, note that word refuse, you refuse to come. If at specific points, I just refuse to hear Jesus speak. But I, I, I usher, I go to church, I know the songs, but it'll, it'll turn fruitless. It'll turn fruitless. Christians must lovingly, yet firmly insist that any professed interest in God that resists the claims of Christ is fake godliness. It doesn't reach God. God does not receive it. There can be, if that's strong medicine for you, there can be no doubt whatsoever to anyone who can read that that's exactly what Jesus intended to say in John 5, 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Now, This part in yellow, read that out loud with me. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. That's Jesus talking. Pretty clear, is it not? Jesus, Jesus is saying, don't talk about honoring God. I'm right here. Follow me, honor me, recognize me. Father God refuses to be honored except through the means of the Son, Jesus Christ. We're clearly told that this is the Father's choice. It's not the Father's will to be honored apart from the Son. It's not the Father's will to be approached apart from the Son. And this means when some well-intentioned person tells you that his relationship with God is just fine, thank you, and yet is living in clear disobedience to the Lordship of Jesus, there's something badly askew there. 
So this is an urgent text. Hear, hear the Lord's words as he speaks. Don't just talk about God. Maybe you need to hear this today. Don't just talk about God. Come to Jesus. You, you just have to come to Jesus. The Father says so. He won't receive you any other way. There's no other religious leader or prophet who will get you to God. Does everybody hear that? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. This is Jesus speaking. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. How, how misdirected can they be? If you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So this is the proof Jesus gives that people who don't honor the Son don't have God's word in their lives at all, even if they can quote it by memory. He says, when he goes back to Moses, Jesus is saying the whole Bible is aimed at preparing the world and your heart to give honor and submission to Jesus Christ, God the Son. That's what he means when he says if these Jewish people really took Moses seriously, they would have embraced Jesus, the Messiah, because, says Jesus, Moses was writing about me. Please take note. Jesus, in these incredibly daring words, is saying these devoutly Jewish people, if they reject him as the Messiah, God the Son, then Jesus says, don't talk to me about Moses. You don't believe Moses either. Let me wrap up this point with one of the strongest and defining pictures of Jesus in the whole New Testament. It's a longer text. It's in Luke chapter 9, 28 to 35. Luke chapter 9, 28 to 35. If you have your Bible, it would help to look it up. I've referred to this before. I just want to read it. The Mount of Transfiguration. About eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him. Moses, now remember the text we've just been reading, where Jesus said, Moses was talking about me. If you don't believe me, then don't talk about Moses. That's what Jesus was saying to these leaders. Now, this is another instance. Up on the mountain, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him. There he is. Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem, his crucifixion, his decease, his departure, ascension afterward. That's what they're talking about. Now, Peter, those with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter says to Jesus, Peter, God bless him, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, tabernacles in the old King James. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. <laughs> Not knowing what he said. You ever been there? 
as he was saying these things. So as Peter's about to blunder, this cloud comes. What did that look like? Overshadowed them. So now you can't see anything except this heavy, foggy cloud. They were afraid, yeah, I guess. And a voice, a voice comes out, a talking cloud. This voice comes out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. What I want you to notice is the way Jesus is placed right at the center of this story. With him, you have Moses representing the law, the old covenant, and Elijah representing the prophets, and Peter, James, and John, all the new, representing the New Testament apostles. You got the law, you've got the prophets, you've got the apostles. This is heavyweight stuff here. And the Father only speaks of the Son. There's nothing in there. This is Moses. Listen to him. This is Elijah. Pay attention to him. Peter, James, and John, these are, they're going to write some of the New Testament. You need to listen to them. None of that. The voice comes out of the cloud. The Father speaks. Don't listen to them. Listen to him. Set your attention on him. Be devoted to him. Listen to him, even though at times it will be through them. Moses talked about him. The apostles wrote about him. But it's him. It's Jesus that matters. Point number two. But we're way past. Don't worry. I said there were two causes of blindness toward Jesus. The first is this failure to yield to him. He's there in the revelation, and we focus on other things and don't search the scriptures, but don't come to Jesus. That doesn't, that doesn't mean I hate everything about Jesus. It means that there's, there's parts in here where Jesus and I aren't on the same page. That's what we're talking about. Okay, that's a problem. Now there's another problem, the second cause of the trouble. Point number two, we're prone to be more easily motivated in our life decisions, boy, this is a huge problem, by social acceptance than by delighting our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at these words, 41 to 44. I do not receive glory from people. Blanket statement about Jesus. But, so somehow this statement about not receiving glory, it's going to be related to something else. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Why don't they? I have come in my Father's name. You do not receive me. He just talked about that. You search the scriptures, you won't come to me. I have come in my Father's name. You won't receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Now, here's the question of desperation. It's a how question. How can you believe? So he's talking about faith. When you receive glory from one another and do not receive the glory that comes from the only God. 
Here's Jesus looking at me. And he's saying, here's, here's a danger, John. And I want you to be aware of it, and I want you to think about it a lot. You have a tendency to destroy yourself by seeking inappropriate acceptance from people instead of staying on course with me. We crave the love of the wrong audience. And this is the birthing room of self-destruction. When we crave the acceptance, the love of people, we are making loving God impossible. And Jesus highlights this not as a secondary issue. He highlights it as a primary problem. See that wall right there? You sweep right across, right across, and stop at that wall right there. Jesus says, this is a primary problem for everyone between these walls. This is a primary problem, not a secondary problem. The people I listen to reveal the kind of person I am. The people who influence me most reveal the kind of heart I have. That's Jesus' point. We should, I think we should all be grateful that Jesus begins this subject the way he does. He gives us a great deal of information about the source of his delight in doing the Father's will when he says, flat out, I, I don't receive glory from people. I don't do that. There. That's the teaching point Jesus wants to leave with the people. He learned, yes, learned, having been made fully incarnate, he learned the life-producing secret of not making acceptance with others the source of his joy. Not making acceptance with others the source of your joy. He's reminding all of us that we can't follow him without some fruit-producing, calculated independence from most of the values around us. And so, so John is, once again, bringing us back to the same issue of what it means to say we believe in Jesus. Jesus makes this link very clear in his words, John 5, 44. How can you believe? This is the subject, believing in Jesus. How can it be done? when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. The conclusion of the matter then is this. If I said how many of you believe in Jesus, I'm pretty sure just about everybody in the room would put his or her hand up. To believe in Jesus means to care more deeply about receiving his approval and admiration and acceptance than anyone else. Put it this way. In terms of the one person you're willing to disappoint, Jesus comes last in line. Believing in Jesus means 
being more influenced by him than anyone else. Apart from that, any talk about believing in Jesus is empty. And I think the church desperately needs to listen to Jesus on this point. Jesus is calling all of us to think twice about our tendency to join the entourage of the famous, the celebrity. He's calling us away from our wild, enthusiastic craving for being among the impressive. He's calling me away from the desire to look good. He's pleading that we replace our hunger for being liked of human person popularity with a deep longing to being praised. Praised by Jesus. We talk about praising Jesus a lot. Maybe we should talk a little bit about being praised by Jesus. Good going, Don. I know that wasn't easy. Way to go. Put your name there. It would have been easy to go along with that crowd. Thanks for standing up for me. The praise of Jesus. There's nothing we should value more. There's nothing we should value more. I'm almost done. You receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. That word glory. I hope you see the positive implication tucked away in those words. We sing a lot of songs about God's glory. Oh, let your glory fall on us. Let your glory rest on us. Let us be filled with your glory. Fill the earth with your glory. Glory, 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 glory. Now, Jesus is going to say, I'm going to show you how to bring God's glory on your life. Anybody interested? How God's glory will rest on your life. True, Jesus says many shut out his glory even while they pray for it. God does have glory to give. You do not seek the the glory that comes from the only God. You don't have to beg God for it. He longs to give it to you. But if Jesus is telling the truth in this text, if he is, then I can only receive glory from two sources. That's it. If I crave the love of my social circle more than I crave the smile of Jesus Christ, the only glory I'm going to get is other people going, good going, Don. Yay, Don. It's empty stuff because the same people, you just do something they don't like and they'll throw you under the bus. That's one source of glory. The other source Learn to ignore the immediate accolades of the crowd. Learn to live with a certain distance from the fickle and empty words of those clamoring for the next piece of your heart. Live every moment of your life to receive the praise of Jesus. And everywhere you go, 
And in everything you do, you know what will happen? Little by little, as you do it, and the Holy Spirit reminds you when you're not doing it, and you repent and you do it, God's going to put his glory on every aspect of your life. His glory. Anybody that's a candidate for that, say amen. Amen.